Hey everyone, and welcome to the Them Before Us podcast. We're really excited for the conversation we have for you all today. We got to chat with Joey Pontarelli, who is the founder and CEO of a ministry called Restored. As a child of divorce, Joey started Restored to help teens and young adults from divorced and broken families heal and build virtue so they can break the cycle of dysfunction and divorce. Joey has spoken both across the USA and internationally, and he's the author of the book, It's Not Your Fault, A Practical Guide to Navigating the Pain and Problems from Your Parents' Divorce. I finished this conversation feeling so encouraged by Joey and his team that are working to serve this population, and we know you will be encouraged as well. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Joey. Thanks so much for joining us. Jen, it's a pleasure. I love the work that you do. And yeah, big fan. So honored to be here. It's mutual. I'm so glad Katie introduced us. And I think I'd seen some of your videos even just coming across my feed before I knew that Katie knew you, which is always fun because then when it comes across, Katie's like, hey, you should have this guy on your podcast. I was like, wait, I see his stuff sometimes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, I remember learning about you guys early on. I was like, wow, we're I feel like we're like brother sister organizations because I know you guys are fighting so hard, especially on the political end. I know there's more to that than before us than just that, but especially on the political end, you're trying to win, you know, policies and win minds. And uh, the way I see the work that we do is we complement each other well because we're trying to just help the young people who've been impacted by these bad policies, by you know, coming from broken families, coming from families where they've been, the parents have been divorced or separated. We're trying to help them to heal and to build virtue so they can go ahead and break that cycle. Yeah, I love that. I love that there are a number of organizations kind of we're we're like multi-pronged facing things from all different angles you know like yeah or the human element of it and caring for people or the public policy element or writing books and i noticed you have a book too and we'll well we can talk about that a little bit later on but let's start just share with us a little bit about restored just what it is and what you guys do and then we'll dig into kind of how you started it yeah absolutely um if it's okay i kind of backtrack into my own story because that's really the origin of Restored. So when I was about 11 years old, my parents separated and later got divorced and it absolutely shattered my world. It brought so much pain and so many problems into my life. And, you know, if someone would have told me all the ways it would impact me, not only then, but in the future, I probably wouldn't have believed them. Um, but truly, I remember the day when my mom broke the news that um, dad would no longer be living with us. In fact, they were getting divorced. All they could do with that news was just hide in the closet and cry. And sitting there in that closet, I felt abandoned. I felt unwanted. I felt like I just wasn't good enough. I couldn't have put it into words then, um, but there was, that's truly what I was feeling. And in the months and years that followed, I dealt with all sorts of pain and problems. I dealt with emotional problems like anxiety, depression, loneliness, a lot of anger for me as a boy. I dealt with relationship struggles. Like over the year, I over the years, I truly struggled to build healthy relationships, friendships, and dating relationships. I struggled to trust, to be vulnerable. I, I really, I remember Jen telling myself, like as a you know, 11, 12, 13 year old boy, like I will never get married because if this is where marriage leads, why in the world would I want to put myself through that sort of pain after seeing what my parents have been through? And so, yeah, just an intense fear of love and marriage being uh, some of the relationship struggles and finally bad habits around the time when my parents split, a friend of mine introduced me to pornography and that really became my drug of choice. And, you know, in the moment it felt good, but then afterward I just felt so empty and I knew as a boy, I wanted to be happy. And this wasn't making me happy. And so uh, two things really help. I heard uh, a speaker um, who just helped me get porn out of my life and just live a pure life. And that really, really helped. And then I also got new friends. 
uh, these were friends who were really happy. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, I, I want whatever it is you have. And I realized it was uh, their Christian faith. And so I started to just, um, yeah, learn about God's plan for my life, um, pray, build virtue, all that good stuff. And that really helped. But even in you know, going into high school and into college, I still felt broken. And I realized that, you know, one of the things that holds us back the most from becoming the best version of ourselves is our untreated brokenness. And so I looked around for some help. I'm like, there's got to be something out there to help a young person like me who comes from a broken family. Um, and I was really shocked to find like a lack of of resources of help. I would ask like really smart people I knew, like, how do you heal from this brokenness, you know, that I've been through in my family? And uh, it was always like unsatisfying, elusive, confusing answers. And so I was like, no, no, it has to be simpler than that. So over the years of just seeing my siblings struggling, seeing close friends of mine who came from, you know, broken families who saw their parents get divorced um, and just reading the research and just understanding this is a huge problem as you guys, you know, communicate so well, but for some reason, no one's really doing anything about it. And so I started Restored. Uh, after you know having some success in the business world, really in an attempt to build resources for the younger version of me who felt so isolated and alone and just like there was nothing there for me. And so Restored is a um, you know an organization that helps teenagers and young adults who come from divorced or broken families uh, to heal and build virtue so they can break that cycle. And the main way we do that is by uh, producing content and resources that make healing and, and growth simple. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. What, um, did your family have, did you have some sort of faith background growing up? Yeah, good question. Yep. Yeah, we did. So come from a Christian family, Catholic family, and, uh, we, you know, kind of were, um, in my opinion, nominal, you know, we'd like go to church on Sunday and, and that was about it, but it really didn't become about like a personal relationship with Jesus until I met those friends who just really, you know, had more than just the rules. They they had like that personal relationship. There was joy and they wanted to, you know, help other people experience that too. And that really caught fire with me. But yeah, um, growing up, it really wasn't, um, at least I wasn't, um, is into my faith until really after going through that trauma of my family falling apart and then realizing like, wow, life can be truly miserable and I really want peace and joy. And it, um, that was the answer um, in my relationship with God. And it, um, yeah, truly has um, been such a blessing. Like I'm, I could be many different places right now. And, and that's kind of a humbling thought. I'm sure, you know, everyone listening can think of times in their lives where there was like a crossroads where you could have gone down a really dark path. And I know for me, I'm just grateful to God that, uh, you know, I ended up where I am uh, today. Not that life is perfect, but it's uh, certainly much better than it could have been. Yeah, for sure. When you, did you say you were 11? Yep. Yeah. So you were 11. <clears throat> did you feel like peers around you, the majority had married two parent families? Did it feel like a lot of your other friends had divorced parents as well? What was kind of the demographic you were surrounded by? Yeah. So when I met those new like Christian friends who are just amazing people, they had awesome families. Um, and there was like kind of, it's a two-edged sword in a way. Like it was super beautiful and inspiring to me. But then, like you said, at the same time, like I felt like they couldn't really relate to me. And so the result for me was that I ended up kind of hiding the reality of my family. I didn't really want them to know what kind of happened behind closed doors. And uh, yeah, embarrassment is maybe another way I would say it. But yeah, it truly didn't feel like, even though I probably could have on some level, I didn't feel like I could open up to them about what I had been through. And so then, you know, eventually over time, some uh, maybe a little bit more remote friends or even some of my close friends did go through their parents' divorce. And so we were able to connect a little bit more. But um, yeah, certainly felt isolated in that and, uh, you know, 
again, a beautiful thing that they had good marriages, but it's hard to relate to something you haven't been through. Yeah. I, I wonder if that sometimes is, is a hard thing within the church, especially when the ideal would be that children have mom and dad and they're married and you yeah. have a life where the kid is secure and they don't. I was having this conversation with a friend the other day of like, mm her kids don't know about that bad stuff that can happen to you because they haven't had to experience it, which is such a blessing. Like that's so yeah. good. Like that's the ideal, but it, it can make it difficult then for, let's say a single mom comes into the church with her kid or she's going through divorce or whatever. Sometimes you just feel that sense of like, my nerves are exposed. Everybody knows this bad mm -hmm. thing about me, but they don't know how to connect to me. And it maybe just feels like a barrier even though it's kind of one of those things you kind of just, both sides kind of have to push through. The side that has more of the ideal family feels awkward, but you kind of just have to like lean in and reach in. Hey, how can we help you? Can we take your son out to our camping trip? And like <clears throat> things like that, you know? And at the same time, that person who feels like, well, my problems are just really exposed and out here. You can't not go to church and not be around people just for those reasons. Cause we think in our head, everyone's judging me. Everyone thinks I'm the worst, you know, cause really sometimes that's just in our head. That's not what other people are thinking and feeling, but I, I wonder the church sometimes can be a difficult balance for, we want that ideal, but like we get that with them before us, we talk about the ideal mm -hmm. all the time and people who don't have that sometimes feel like we're talking down to them or we're critiquing them when it's like, well, no, we're not saying those things are your faults or that's something bad you did that was done to you or your spouse left or whatever. So, right. No, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree more with that. And I think, yeah, certainly as a church, we can do a better job there kind of catering to these families who've, you know, gone through a lot of brokenness. Um, I know that the reasons for the breakdown of the family just vary so much. So it's, I think it's important to, yeah, you know, obviously speak the truth and that's what we're both doing. And that's really important. And then also like, having love for the people who are going through these situations, just understanding that they, um, you know, they, they need us to be there with them in the mess, in the brokenness. And I think that's, um, you're right. A lot of people do shy away from church because they feel like they'll be judged. And a couple of thoughts on that. One, I did uh, some speaking engagements at various churches in Illinois. And um, I, um, it's really interesting that the turnout wasn't crazy because the topic was on broken families. And, and I think there were some issues with the way that they marketed the event, but we had a lot of people watching online, which is really odd. Um, this is like, you know, not like Chicago, it's like um, the country. And I thought that was really interesting because it, what it signaled to me is that there's a lot of shame around this, even for the parents, right? Obviously for the kids. I mean, I see that every day in the work that we're doing. Like there's a lot of shame around coming from a broken family and struggling in the ways that they do because of that. But I think even for parents, especially for like spouse abandoned you or whatever, um, cheated on you, whatever, then it can be uh, really difficult to just like, um, yeah, come into, like you said, a church where there seems to be like healthy families and functional families and be like the one who's who's um, the odd one out. And so I think, uh, and the second thought I, I had was, you know, I think um, at some level, again, we're talking about the ideal and we all want to strive for that and we can get pretty close, but um, you know, no, no one's perfect. And, you know, there's certainly varying degrees of dysfunction. Um, and so what I've seen is that no matter how perfect or look, you know, put together someone looks on the outside, they're struggling with things too. And so if maybe that's an encouragement to anyone listening right now who you know, maybe you do come from a broken family or maybe you're even a parent in a broken family and you think that, you know, you're so messed up and 
Um, everyone else isn't. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what they're struggling with. And so, so, so often what I've learned is if you kind of go first and share, well, you know, especially trying to find the right people and share kind of what you've been through, then it's often that they'll open up and be like, oh yeah, I deal with that too, or I deal something similar or different, but also heavy. For sure. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, vulnerability breeds more vulnerability and you kind of sure. need someone to, to start, be willing to do it. And there's appropriate yeah. times and places and ways, and sure. it doesn't have to be everything all at once. And one, one coffee conversation, your first time hanging out or whatever, but Let yeah. I'll tell you everything about every intimate detail in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're like, ah, I just thought we were getting coffee. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe just some of the things you've learned as you started Restored just maybe the data and things about divorce, like kind of what are those big impacts? And maybe, I don't know if you yeah. think or have learned, is there a big difference between here's the impacts when they're younger, kids impacted, here's the impacts for people who are older, or just tell us, go ahead and lay the foundation for kind of divorce and and yeah, what that does to people. Yeah, absolutely. And I know your, your book does such a good job of this too, so I'll try to do it some justice, but what we've seen is, I like the quote, um, Dr. Judith uh, Wallerstein's research from UC uh, Berkeley, you know, not exactly a conservative stronghold, but they studied children of divorce for 25 years. And what she found is that they followed, I think, 131 kids from 60 families, and they only picked children who didn't have any developmental or emotional problems prior to the divorce. And then they compared, or they observed the impact that the divorce had on them and compared them to their peers who came from intact families. And I remember going into it, you know, she expected to find that the impact of divorce would be minimal, like there barely would be an impact. And if it was, if there was an impact, it would at least be temporary, it'd be short lived, it wouldn't last very long. Um, but after studying it for years, she said something like, our findings challenge the myth that divorce is a transient crisis. And then as soon as parents reestablish their lives, the children will recover fully. She said that just doesn't happen. Again, this is like a hardcore scientist. It's not a religious thing. And um, two of the really interesting things from her research that I learned was something called the sleeper effect. She said that the full effects from your parents' divorce actually aren't experienced until adulthood. So think like college age and beyond. Um, that doesn't mean you're not affected before, but the full effects actually come out later. They surface later. And she said the biggest area of your life that's impacted by far from what they learned is your own relationships, especially your future marriage. And the basic reason for that, for anyone listening is wondering why that is, is you basically lack a roadmap for love. You've seen a broken model of love and marriage. And so when it's your turn, you feel kind of lost. And you might even be tempted to give up on love, give up on marriage, give up on relationships altogether. Uh, or if you do go down that path, what often happens is that we've seen in, in our nonprofit is that we end up building unhealthy relationships weak marriages and broken families and the cycle just repeats repeats itself again and again and, and that's the thing that we're we're trying to stop so that's like earth shattering um i know you know some families where the kind of um cycle of divorce of brokenness of dysfunction has perpetuated so much a friend of mine actually told me this she said i can only think of one relative who stayed married um, I know others where it's been like a generational thing. And that's what we see too, is a generation after generation, it tends to repeat itself. And so um, those are some of the really interesting things. Of course, there's other research out there from Dr. Paul Amato at Penn State. He's one of the foremost researchers on this topic. Um, there's other researchers as well who've found that, you know, children of divorce are more likely to have social problems, behavioral problems, and more likely to 
struggle in their relationship with their parents, to struggle in romantic relationships, they're less likely to get married, they're more likely to get divorced, or less likely to have children, um, they're more likely to attempt suicide, all these like really depressing things that really beg the question like, what are we doing about this? And, and why are we just acting as a culture that divorce is just this normal, fine, happy thing and no one's really impacted because children are resilient? The data doesn't say that. No, you know, hundreds and thousands of stories that we've heard just bear the fact that there's a this group of people, tens of millions of people who come from divorced families who are really suffering. They're not getting the help that they deserve. And as a result, they just repeat this cycle of dysfunction uh, and divorce. And I think as a culture, uh, we deserve better. I think parents deserve better. I think kids deserve better uh, than that really broken, sad cycle. And we talked about that in our book, that sometimes the way divorce has impacted kids, there's sometimes worse outcomes for divorce than for the death of a parent. Because, and Katie will talk about, and maybe this was your experience, <clears throat> that for a lot of kids, they have no idea their parents are having problems at all. So when the parents sit them down and say, for us, it was family dinner when I was you know, 17 or 18. So I'm thankful mm -hmm. I was so much older. I think I did have more tools to handle it, but it ruins family dinner, right? Like um, that's yeah. your last sort of happy family dinner, the first part of that dinner. Um, yeah. But I knew because I was older, I knew my parents' marriage had a lot of difficulties. It was not, things were not great. But for a lot of kids, you know, you're nine, you're 10 years old, whatever. And you sit down, your parents tell you that. She's like, Katie talks about, it's like death. Yeah, like you said, death of love. Like, wait, yeah. I thought these two people loved each other and it was safe. And when I came home, I knew they were going to be here. Yeah. And now it's, it. and she we talk about too, it's not one tragedy and then it's over. You know, like you said, you get over it. No, now it's a series of tragedies over and over. Whether it's now mom has a boyfriend that comes in and out or 10 different boyfriends, dad remarries over here, that mom doesn't like me, they have kids, they care about now. It's now it's over and over and over. And it's just a series of traumas the rest of your life, mm -hmm. even into adulthood with like, hey, Christmas, are you going to be with dad and stepmom, yeah. stepdad, they don't like each other, who's going to your graduation, on and on and on. So it really does. Yeah. Like she talked about... um everyone remembers where they were when they were told your parents are getting divorced. You know, it's like knowing where you were for September 11th. So yeah. pretty crazy. Amen. No, I couldn't agree more. And I, um, that, that point of it being kind of this chronic trauma is really important because like you said, there, there are acute traumas like being attacked, being in, in a bad car accident, you know, those sorts of things, maybe going to war and experiencing some crazy things, but these chronic traumas, like certainly, have an impact and people like Bessel van der Kolk, you know, who wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score, um, you know, has really documented well how this trauma like has literal, not just emotional effects, but physical effects too. And I know you guys talk about in your book, you know, even some of the physical effects, like I forget the exact details, but how people who come from, you know, divorced families were more likely to get sick or more likely to have like all these health issues, which is really mind boggling, but it shows that I think we're, you know, so connected, like our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls are, are all connected. And so, yeah, I, um, I couldn't agree more that this is just, it's ongoing trauma. There's so many challenges. And so that's one of the things like at Restore that we're trying to do is help the young people heal from the trauma, the initial trauma and the chronic ongoing trauma, 
Um, but, but then also just navigate some of the challenges. Like you mentioned the holidays, like that is a big challenge for people like us. And so um, it's, you know, th there's a lot of wisdom out there when it comes to it, but so often it's like fractured in these little spaces. So what we're trying to do is like bring it all together. But I want to go back to your point on um, the age question. I, I personally answered it, but I want to make sure I, I give it a fair shake. So the the data I've seen, age is just like one variable, one factor when it comes to like how you're impacted by your parents' divorce. So there's kind of some obvious situations where if you're a you know baby, like let's say like one of my friends, her parents divorced, I think when she was like six months old. So she has no like conscious memory of it. Um but it certainly in impacted her. And if, you know, that divorce, for example, were to impact the mother to the point where she's like neglected the child's like basic needs, then you would say, well, that's obviously worse than someone hearing about the news when they're like 17, like in your case. Um, but yeah, but that's just like one factor. Dr. Paul Amato from Penn State, he mentioned um, that they didn't really find that age was like a big differentiator. Like there's more variables that are maybe more important, such as the quality of the relationship between the parents. Like, whether it was a um, high conflict family marriage divorce or a low conflict. Um, and I know you guys talk about that so well, but just for everyone listening, if they haven't heard of it, um, from what I understand in the research, a high conflict divorce would be a situation where there's a lot of overt drama, tension, dysfunction. Like we're talking violence, we're talking abuse, we're talking like really intense stuff that the kids are fully aware of. In fact, they, they might be in danger because of it. Um, and truly something needs to happen. You know, we would say that there at least needs to be some sort of split where the, the things can cool down. And then the goal is to heal the marriage and the family. That's always the goal. That should be the goal because that's what's best for the kids. Now, I know we live in a broken world and that's not always possible, but that's um, that truly should be the goal. But those high conflict situations, um, I know Katie mentions this in the book, you guys mentioned this in the book, um, account for about 30% of divorces, which is a lot, still a lot. But it's less than you'd think, because when a lot of people talk about divorce, they often make it sound like every situation is like that. So we contrast that with um, low conflict divorces. And these are um, situations where the problems are more covert, not overt, you know, where there are, there could be an addiction, there could be an affair going on, there could be, you know, real problems, or there could be lesser problems like communication struggles, or just not being on the same page, or, you know, a lot of like, anger and unforgiveness, whatever, not to minimize or lessen what the spouses are going through. But the key differentiator here is like to the children, things seem mostly fine. They might be aware that there's some problems in the family. Like for me growing up, I knew like, yeah, my parents like didn't really handle conflict well. So they would fight, they'd get loud and angry, and then they go both their separate ways. They never really resolve anything. And so I was aware of that, but I never in a million years would have thought of that my parents would get divorced. And so that's kind of hallmark of a low conflict divorce. And what the research has found is that those low conflict divorces uh, can actually be more traumatic than the high conflict divorces. In fact, that's what they found because it comes out of the blue. And Jen, like you said, you tend to like go through life thinking, well, this thing, this foundational part of my life, my family, if that fell apart, well, what won't fall apart? Like, what can I truly rely on. And so you go through life thinking that there's maybe a disaster around every corner that you can't really trust people. And it just creates a, a ton of, ton of problems. And so I think, um, you know, I think again, that we, we deserve better, but it's important to talk about the difference because again, the high conflict, about 30% of divorce is a little less from what I saw in the data. And then um, low conflict divorces are a little more than 70%. 
um, of divorces. And again, that's can be the, the more traumatic kind. Well, that leads well into a conversation kind of about fault versus no fault. Uh, yeah. yeah what, what's your take on sort of why no fault divorce came around and, and then where did this idea that the kids will be totally fine come from? Do you think? Good question. I learned actually from Katie, from you guys, that um, no-fault divorce originated in California. It was actually Ronald Reagan, if I'm remembering right, who wanted to get divorced. And so he worked to change the laws um, so that he was able to you know, divorce his spouse because there wasn't, I guess, a fault there. Um, from what I know, I don't know all the details of that story. Um, and so then once California did that, it's the no-fault divorce um, you know, movement theme spread across the country. And so now we have a situation, like you said, where you can really get divorced for any reason. And the spouse who's being abandoned um, has no legal defense, essentially. They can just, all they can do is just kind of take it. And it's really, really sad. And so, yeah, I think it certainly came from um, the sexual revolution where we, you know, kind of exalted um, personal desire and personal happiness above any anyone else's rights. It's like my happiness, my gratification, my sexual gratification, especially, kind of trumps anything and everything. And that's, I think, where we ended it with. You know, we came to the point of, um, you know, obviously, contra some contraception like abortion, um, and then also divorce. It, it, they're all related if, if you really drill down and think about it. I know maybe the contraception piece is kind of like um, touchy for a lot of people, but. If you think at the um, end of the day, a lot of those things are are certainly connected, um, even if there's disagreement about like kind of how they should be, um, you know, handled or or so on. But so yeah, so that's what I would say is just like it's all kind of this comes from this culture um, where we just exalt the rights of adults, like you guys say so well, over um, others' rights, the rights of children, and the rights of maybe abandoned spouses. And so um, yeah, I think that uh, there's some movement and. Uh, some places to overturn no fault divorce. Um, and I think that's probably a, a good thing. Um, I'm, you know, not as involved politically as you guys are. We're just trying to help more on the um, helping the young people to to heal from a lot of that trauma and help them to avoid repeating that cycle again. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a big mess. It's so wrong. Like obviously when Katie came on my podcast, I remember we talked about situations where, you know, a split might, might be needed, like someone who's just, you know, committing adultery, like they're, they're, just cheating on you and it's ongoing and they're not repented. It's like, okay, something needs to happen there. There's, you know, obviously the abuse situation where it's, you know, physical, sexual abuse, or, you know, even like intense, like prolonged um, emotional abuse, like more than just like, oh, we got in an argument once and it's like really impacted me. Like, um, you know, something that's like truly defined as abuse, like those situations um, obviously can be a, a reason where there might need to be a breather or separation, but hopefully, you know, can, correct that behavior, bring the family back together. I know one couple right now where the husband is um, just deep in alcoholism, really struggling. And the wife really, she's staying true to her wedding vows. She wants to make it work. And um, so what she did is she pursued like a legal separation, which is different than a divorce because her hope is that that will give her, you know, some of what she needs. Like she, I think is a stay at home mom, she needs some money to provide for the kids. So it gives her some legal rights, but at the same time, she's trying and hoping and praying that her husband will clean up his behavior and come home and they can, you know, heal the family and the marriage, which is a long road. It's not easy. I don't want to make it sound like it is. Um, so yeah, just some thoughts there when it comes to the no fault divorce and um, kind of how it came about. And um, when it comes to children being resilient, uh, I, I think it again, stems from 
kind of this wishful thinking uh, where we, you know, kind of want to do what we want to do and we don't really want to think how it might impact people. And so um, what I've seen so often is that the children from the outside might look like they're fine. Like not everyone has these like, you know, we quoted some of the research where the uh, social and behavioral problems and all these other, you know, emotional problems, things like that. Um, but we can be very good at masking those things to the point where the parents don't see them or perhaps, um, yeah, perhaps it's, uh, it, it seems like we're doing fine. And what I've seen with the young people that we worked with is that so often they don't speak up because they don't want to rock the boat. There's been enough drama at home. There's been enough problems. We don't want to speak up and say, Hey, I'm struggling in this way or that way. And so we often just struggle in silence. And then what happens is that our parents look at us and they think, oh, well, they're fine. They're resilient. They're good. And then we're told by people that we should be happy because we have two homes and twice as many Christmas presents and all these things. And so I think there's this just false narrative that children are resilient um, for, for a lot of different reasons, but those would be some of them. Yeah, we did a Q&A. I think it was a Q&A episode where someone had asked a question to Katie. And so I read the question to Katie about fault versus no fault. And I learned in real time from Katie's thoughts on it this idea that I kind of had bought into the cultural idea that we had to have no fault divorce because it protects people who are being abused because it's hard to prove adultery. It's hard to prove abuse. So people are going to be trapped in these terrible marriages if you don't have the no fault model. Well, now, first of all, we're only talking about 30% then. We're not talking about that other 70%, like you just said, that stat. So let's let's at least look at the percentages and let's say, okay, well, then let's look at the 70%. But Katie yeah. pointed out, this was so good, that even with this no-fault model, if you have children, you still have to prove abuse or adultery or whatever, because otherwise it's going to be, you're kind of probably just going to get this 50-50 split of custody and just all your resources that you still need some way. The problem is our, our society is not siding with the adult that wants to do what's right. They're sort of just looking at them like, well, 50-50, whatever. It doesn't matter if the guy in a no-fault model, it doesn't matter if the man's been abusive and then cheated on and left his wife. If he's right. like, I want 50% of the custody, he in this model can still go get it. So she was saying, even with this no-fault model, if you wanted to protect your kids, you would still need to try to prove abuse and adultery and all these, you know, or addiction or abandonment or whatever it is. Yeah. So you could try to protect your kids or get more, you know, if you're going to be the primary caregiver, you should be getting alimony from the spouse who's not taking care of the kids all the time. You know, yeah. some of those things. And I was like, oh, see, then the whole reasoning behind having no fault really starts to fall away there. And for that 70% or over 70%, that is really just because we're not getting along anymore or there's conflict or there's other things. Well, then as a society... Can we really get serious about making another way to go about trying to fix that situation than saying, okay, get us out of here. And people have joked about, I don't know if it's true because cell phone contracts aren't as even as prevalent anymore, but people have talked about yeah. you can get out of your marriage like quicker than you can get out of your, you know, your two-year cell phone contract or whatever paperwork. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. yeah. So, so we just... Yeah. So I think we as an organization would definitely say, go back to a fault model and maybe we equip people, you know, here's what you do. If you are in a marriage where the, all those A's, adultery, abandonment, addiction, abuse, this is how you're going to document. These are the processes that you're going to use to then 
if you need to get out of the marriage, this is what we're going to do. So people aren't trapped, but then we can say, you know, for the rest of us having a hard things being hard, things being high conflict, conflict is not a reason to, to rip it apart because it's shredding your kid's life, you know? Absolutely. No, I love, thanks for clarifying that about like fault versus no fault. And I couldn't agree more. Like the fact that the at fault model, maybe it has some imperfections that can be approved upon, but it's better for the spouse and the family and the kids. And so, yeah, I think like in those high conflict situations, like you said, give people the resources, the tools to, you know, learn how to get to safety. Cause you and I would both agree. Like if you're in safety, if you're being abused right now, get to safety, like get out. You know, get get to a situation where you can protect yourself and your kids. Um, and then, of course, like we were saying, like the goal hopefully would be just like that family I mentioned, where it would be that, you know, the husband in that case would stop his like alcohol addiction, get the help that he needs and then come home because the kids need him. You know, that's the thing. Like we we act like the mom or dad are just kind of these easily replaceable figures in our lives. And the research you guys have done, especially when it comes to, you know, surrogacy and all those things like it's so clear we need our biological parents involved we need like mom and dad they're not replaceable and so it's um you know again kids deserve better and i think that's a beautiful thing and yeah when it comes to low conflict situations what what's happened is we've opened up this door of just people being unhappy and they just want to leave and so it's really easy to leave um like you said it's like easier than a lot of other things in our in our um, lives and so it's really sad because what I've seen, even in the Christian world, is that um, divorce is often this like one of the first things that we prescribe for problems within marriage. It's really wild. Like I wish I wish I was exaggerating that, but I've heard so many stories where people will even go to like their pastor or something, and they're just that's like one of the first things out of their mouth. Like, oh yeah, you guys don't really have a good marriage, so I would just probably pursue a divorce. Like, no, 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 no. Like we're we need to help people again heal the marriage bring the family back together. And there's so many ways of doing that. There's one organization I'm aware of, um, the Alexander House. They do great work. They were, Greg and Julie were really on their last thread um, as a marriage. And they um, were both cheating on each other. It was like a disaster. They have kids too. At the, they had kids at the time. And anyway, it all came to life, kind of came to light, blew up in their face. And they were just like at wit's ends. And they figured that they were gonna, you know, just get a divorce and call it quits. And they ended up meeting with their pastor. And um, long story short, he just really challenged them. He said, okay, before we, you go down this route, I, I just want to ask you the question, like, why did God invent marriage? Like, what did he have in mind when he invented this thing? What's the purpose? And he really challenged them. And so they went, dug into that deeply and through it, you know, thank God they were able to heal their marriage. Even after things had been a disaster, they were able to heal their marriage, their family. They saved their kids a lot of heartache, even though the kids did go through a lot, but they saved them at least the heartache of, of divorce. And so they now uh, coach struggling marriages and they've helped over 5,000 couples in the past 20 years. And their success rate of keeping the couple you know, together and healing the marriage is 98%, if you can believe that. Better than a lot of therapists out there. And so I uh, just wanted to mention them because so often when we talk about this topic on our podcast or elsewhere, people think, well, there's no resources. And I think this is one and that we need to create more that can really step into that brokenness and help marriages heal instead of just offering them this kind of like, you know, get out of jail free card, like escape, you know, hatch where you can just kind of eject and get out of there if you need to, because you're not happy. Right. When we talked about church community, I just knowing 
from the outside that marriages can be very difficult. Even if you have two people who are have strong faith background, you could have two people who had parents who are married and it's great. And you still have unique challenges and, and different things in your marriage. But that's one of the things, that's one of the benefits of people who do have a strong faith community. First of all, as I think about my own church, we have strong male leadership when it comes to like elders and pastors. And so I don't think this is done perfectly in every church. And obviously that would be the ideal, but that the idea that let's say it's a wife who has a husband who needs to be corrected in some way, like you're saying abuse or addiction. Um, Yeah. He's an alcoholic or whatever. There should be a sense that this woman knows there's men brothers she can go to and say, I need help with what's happening here. And that those men would come around them. Not like they're going to come pound him and, figure you know it's like but but the idea of like they would be the people who both protect her and the children but help him call him to a higher standard and and that you would have that support i i find it and just like Mm -hmm. if you don't have that kind of faith community where and and not that it's always men doing something wrong either obviously you know that women could also be just doing something wrong but then there's strong female leadership in the church and women who are pouring into and and you see married couples who are mentoring people who are married, who are younger than them, you know, but I, it, it is hard to think about if you're, there might be people listening that don't have a church community like that, or don't, maybe they're not from any kind of faith background at all. It is difficult to think about what are the resources they have. So you've mentioned a few, which is awesome. And maybe we'll even just put links to some different um, uh, ministries or, or resources in our uh, show notes here, but it just seems it's already difficult, but for people that don't have a community of people around you, and if your parents were divorced, you don't really have something to look at, something to aspire to, or to learn from or be encouraged. So it's very difficult. Katie Mm -hmm. says that in her second book, which is more uh, uh, political, but she says, Mm -hmm. people need to go find their people. You have to go find people who are like-minded and who are doing the things you aspire to do, right? We're the average of the five people you're closest to or whatever. So if everyone around mm-hmm. you is getting divorced or cheating on their spouse or they're alcoholics or whatever it is, the chances are you'll probably be inclined towards those behaviors as well. So people mm-hmm. need to go and find their people. And that's that's an interesting thought, both for people within a faith community, but people outside of it as well. Yeah, no, so, so true. I've heard it said that your friends are like an elevator. They either bring you up or down. Oh, and so yeah. you need to find the right ones. And yeah, when it comes to isolation, I think the, the number one I've thing I've seen when it comes to marriages struggling is that they never ask for help. They never ask for help. It's really like, it seems so simple, but it's so true. They just never ask for help. Or maybe they do pursue some help. I think there's a you know, percentage that does, um, but they don't get the right help. You know, maybe they go to a therapist who's just telling them like, yeah, I, I would probably just get divorced or even a pastor, like we said, and they're not getting like the resources, the help that they need to really go underneath the surface, get to the root, like what's going on in this marriage? Like what can be done to, to heal it? And on that note too, like I love the model you said, like having people you can go to, finding your people, you know, I, I love that Kitty was saying that. I, th- I think that's so key because um, we, we're not meant to live in isolation. Like you're not going to thrive as a human person in isolation. Like you need people who can love you, who can call you on, even when you mess up too. It's like, you know, some of the best friends that I have have called me out on things where, you know, I, I wasn't 
living like a virtuous, like good life. They're like, Hey, you, you need to stop doing that. And that was really beautiful and helpful. So yeah, I couldn't agree more that we need to um, do more to help these struggling marriages and families. Um, Cause again, they deserve better. They deserve better than the, all those hidden costs of divorce. And that's a really important point, I think. And I know you guys talk about this a lot. Divorce looks like this wonderful option, both for the spouse and they think for their kids, when in reality, it actually just opens a Pandora's box of a whole new host of problems that weren't there before, or maybe it magnifies other problems or just hands them to the kids. Maybe the spouse is free of them, but now the kids have to deal with them. And so, yeah, we, we certainly deserve better. And I think yeah, the key, like you said, is like the local community uh, really stepping in and helping. And again, it's scary to to kind of show your wounds to people around you because we all want this like perfect facade. But when you do, you can actually get the help that you need. And when you get the help that you need, you can actually find freedom. And that freedom is, it feels amazing. Like it, it's, it's so good. And you can actually like transform your life. Like it's possible. Like it, I've seen it a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the thing that we want people, I think, to walk away with. Yeah. I've been jotting down notes of, as we've been talking this whole time. And one thing I know from some of the data is that with divorce, the dad tends to be the one that maybe moves out or he typically is the one that has a lot less contact with the kids. I don't remember what the specific stats are, but because, and this is more the gender difference thing, because women tend to be more of that social connection for men, they tend to be the social calendar and they're, hey, don't forget to call your mom for her birthday. They're keeping track of a lot more of that sort of thing, right? It yeah. kind of makes sense that when dad and mom split, dad doesn't necessarily remember when the kid's birthday is. He doesn't necessarily stay connected in the same way. Or like we've talked about, if he gets remarried, that woman becomes that person and she's not necessarily invested in his other kids um, did you have that sort of experience? So when your parents split up when you're 11, how, how did that work with you in terms of like time and connection with your dad? And then kind of what have you seen with the kids you're working with and supporting? Do you feel like that, that is the case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with us. So yeah, there's certainly visitation. Um, there, there are some mental health challenges too, um, with my dad and he has bipolar disorder. And so he, um, there were situations where like he, we couldn't really be with him as much, or he maybe wouldn't follow through with some of the visitation um, items. But yeah, we lived with my mom and um, certainly having that hole in, in my life was very impactful. Now I'm really blessed that I actually had men in my life, especially mentors who stepped into that role. And, and that's what I would advise for anyone listening right now who kind of um, has that hole in their life where their dad isn't involved. It's like, you need to find someone to, to father you truly. And yeah, your relationship with God is, is like a big part of that, but it, God actually wants you to like have humans like in your life who, who will mentor you and guide you and love you and, and help form you like that. We all need that. And so, um, I've been really blessed over the years to have like really amazing uh, male mentors. And so I would say that's one of the things that you know, people from divorced families need, need a ton, but yeah, you're right. Like I've seen that a lot where typically the young people uh, who come from these broken divorce families are living with mom and um, they end up, you know, having a really poor relationship with dad. And that ends up leading to a lot of um, other problems, which I know Katie talks about a lot, you know, especially when it comes to like young women, like picking men, you know, picking some who to date and who to marry and things like that. 
um, they, you know, could truly be looking for love that they never received or end up with a guy who's not good for them because they don't, they didn't have someone to set that beautiful, like good example of like, this is what authentic masculinity looks like. This is the type of men you want to end up with. I was just talking, I did a speaking engagement recently in Mexico and I was talking with a bunch of the young adults after, and when one of the girls came up to me and she said, you know, come from a broken family. My parents are divorced. I really don't have a relationship with my dad. And man, I, she said, everything you talked about in your talk was like so relevant to me because I just end up in these really broken relationships where these guys, like they, you know, ghost me or they, you know, cheat on me or they just treat me really horribly. And so, you know, for someone like her, it's, that's tragic. That's so sad. Like I want better for her. And I think she needs to be shown on a really like practical level, like what it looks like for a man to treat a woman the right way. Cause she's never really seen that in her life. So how would she know what to even, even look for? Um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot that can be said um, when it comes to fatherlessness. It's such an epidemic. I remember hearing one statistic that like, I think it's over 80% of men incarcerated and maybe even more than that uh, come from a home without a father. It's like, my goodness, what is going on here? And I think that's often the result, you know, of of divorce or perhaps, you know, other broken family situations. And so, yeah, I think that um, there it's a huge hole. Um, we need to fill it by hopefully getting the their father back in the home, healing the marriage and the family. Um, and if not, like I said, if that's not possible due to some other constraints, then having someone who kind of steps into that role to, to be a father for you, I, that's what we recommend to the young people that we lead. Yeah, that's good. I was realizing as I was thinking about it, what a hero, my mom and my stepdad. So she got remarried about three years after my parents got divorced, Okay. But yeah. how, how great they've been. Uh, particularly, I remember my mom short, even shortly after the divorce saying, have you guys talked to your dad recently? Have you guys gone over there? Because she was continuing to make sure we had relationship with him when we were a little mm. more like, eh. I'm okay. Like, I'm fine. I don't want to, but she, she knew that was still important. She was continuing to be that social person to, to have us connected to him. And, and even now, so I'm really thankful for my mom and stepdad's marriage. They have a great marriage. They're both people of faith, Christians and great marriage, love us, care for us. And they will welcome my dad into, you know, Easter lunch, Thanksgiving, definitely for us, for our birthdays, which I think for kids is so huge to know that, you know, we're like in our thirties, we're all in our thirties now, but to know that like, you can have a birthday dinner where both your parents can be there. My parents have never been post-divorce. Don't, they're not high conflict at all. It's totally fine now, but that really is because of the graciousness of my mom, but also my stepdad. Cause imagine, you know, we're talking about like family memories and we're like laughing about stuff. And my stepdad doesn't, he's like, wasn't there. He doesn't know his graciousness and my mom's graciousness to like welcome my dad back in. So like for a birthday dinner, you get to have both your parents there is so huge. It kind of goes back to what we talk about all the time with them before us, even in these instances where there was fault and there was good reason to get divorced. And, and, and let's assume for the sake of argument, it's not an abusive thing where the kid is in danger being in relationship with that parent. When parents are willing to make it work, like, hey, we need to be able to come to this baseball game and get along fine and both be cheering and have our son or daughter know that we both love them, even though we're not married anymore. Mm-hmm. Like parents that do that sort of thing, I really think heroes because it yeah. is so hard to be around a person who's hurt you or did things where now your marriage is broken. But 
it is crazy. Like I remember telling a friend they were doing a graduation for her son. And so she had an ex and then with their son was graduating. And I said, make sure you guys get a picture together with your kid. That doesn't mean your other, your spouses, your, your new spouses can't be in it either. But I was like, I, we didn't have another family picture again until like, I didn't have another picture with both my mom and my dad in it for maybe 10 years. And, and that's just a creep. Like I want a picture with my parents in it. Yeah. I'm not saying they have to be married. But that's something interesting, like for kids. And she was like, oh, that's such a good idea. And so they did take one. And it's like, it's not for your benefit. It's not for your ex's benefit. It's for your son's benefit. That now he has a picture at his graduation with mom and dad in it. They get along, they're fine. And it shows that they care about me more than they care about rehashing the past or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Wow. No, you're right. There, There is like a heroism in that because you're stepping above like your own pain. And um. Yeah. One of my favorite movies is Batman Begins. And there's a scene in that where uh, Bruce Wayne is talking to his childhood friend, Rachel. And um, she has this line that's always just stuck with me, which maybe is like helpful for all of us, especially parents listening who maybe, you know, are divorced. And she tells Bruce, like, you know, he's like just enveloped in his own pain of his parents being killed um, and just kind of ignoring the pain of people around him. She says, you know, look beyond your own pain, Bruce, like look beyond your own pain. And I, I think there's some instructive in that. I don't think we want to like, you know, ignore like our need for healing. Like we need that. We should pursue that, but not to the point where we just ignore the pain of people around us. And I think like you're saying in, in that situation, I'm sure both your mom and your dad are dealing with pain, have dealt with pain. It's kind of difficult, but they've kind of ascended beyond that and been able to put your needs ahead of theirs. And, um, you know, I think that's that's a good and beautiful thing. And going back to the point of like fatherhood too, I actually yesterday was watching a a TED talk of this divorce attorney um, who was just making an argument for like how needed dads are in the lives of um, their children and how what often happens is I guess in court, I don't know a lot about this, but in, in um, you know, these family like trials, they, um, mom often gets the custody because dad um, maybe doesn't like know as much about like the intimate details of the kids' lives because mom is usually spending time with them. And what she's learned though, as a divorce attorney is that um, dad often knows like just different information about the kids. He might not know like, you know, who their, um, you know, who their best friend is or who their, you know, dentist is or things like that, but he will know like what their fears are. He will know like how high to push each of them on the swing. He will know like, you know, kind of who at school might be bothering the kid. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind that, you know, each of us brings something different to the table and both are needed in the lives of the children. And there was a research out of Turkey too, that looked at high school students and they looked at students who came from divorced families. And as you'd expect, they found that the students who came from divorced families were more likely to experience loneliness, anxiety, and depression. But they found something really interesting. They said, if you had a, a good relationship with one or both parents that actually greatly mitigated those negative effects, you were much le less likely to experience anxiety, anxiety, depression, and loneliness. And so whenever I'm talking to parents, especially anyone listening right now, I think it's really helpful and hopeful to know that, um, you know, your kids need you. Like, like your role has not been, you know, depleted. Your, your role actually, I think, has been heightened in, in a sense of you need to step it up. Like, like you truly, your kids need you. And maybe the relationship is broken to the point where it's going to take months and even years of healing that and gaining the respect of your kids again, because of the ways in which you hurt them. Um, but truly, if you want what's best for them, you know, doing, building that relationship and doing, um, 
everything that you can to just help them, you know, lessen those negative effects and really just build them up into these strong, healthy, whole people so they can go on and build really beautiful, meaningful lives. And so I, I think it's a, it is a hopeful message. And, um, you know, like we were saying before, the best thing you could do is heal the marriage and family. But in those situations where you can, I think this is a good, good option. Yeah. Like we talked about having a multi-pronged approach where we're trying to, let's say we can eliminate no fault divorce. The problem is there's still so many people who've been impacted by divorce right now. And so that's what your ministry restored ministry is doing. I'd love for you to just share if maybe if you have a few stories off the top of your head of just kind of what you would say are, you know, success stories, or maybe some ways that you feel like your ministry is really making an impact for kids that you'd like to share. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot. Um, so I'll just pick a couple. There's one young woman who found out about us um, through you know social media. She listened to our podcast. She heard a trauma therapist who we partner with who came on the show and she ended up buying her book and then scheduling eventually a week-long intensive of therapy. Now, leading up to this, this young woman like came from super broken family. Um, just the uh, dad was, you know, abusive. The um just family was dysfunctional and broken. She was at a point where she was just dealing with a whole host of problems, including cutting and, you know, suicide, attempting thinking of suicide. Um, this is a woman in like her twenties. And so, um, going through therapy, she kind of was skeptical that it was going to be able to help, but she goes through this week long intensive and she ended up just seeing this like complete transformation where she was no longer even like, I'm not kidding, Jen, like she no longer even felt tempted to suicide and or attempted to cutting, which is amazing. Um, and, and that lasted. And so it's it's really beautiful um, to see that sort of transformation because what we're trying to do is like, we're trying to build resources for these young people who come from divorced and broken families or just connect them with resources out there. Like one of the things that we're trying to build is a national network of therapists, of mentors, of spiritual directors that we trust, that we vet, that we recommend because we're not trying to be the pros at everything. We can't be. And so that's one of the initiatives, one of the projects in our, um, which we call coaching. It's like the coaching component of our, our ministry. Um, because, you know, one of the most healing things for me has been, like I mentioned before, the mentors in my life, people who've walked with me and just loved me through all the hard times and all the challenges and have guided me, offered so much wisdom and advice that have helped me, you know, just become the man that I've, I've become. And so, um, so that's, you know, one, one story, another story. I remember there was a woman who, um, she was outside, typically we're serving young people from like 13 to 35 or so. Um, but we're happy if people find it helpful outside of that age range. And so there's this woman who I got on the phone with her. She, um, at the time she was 50 years old and she said, Joey, my parents divorced when I was 10 for the last 40 years, you know, I've just dealt with this problem, this trauma, and no one's really understood it. You know, my family, um, even therapists that I've been through, she said, I went through 30 years of counseling, if you can believe that. And she said, no one was able to, to really help me because they didn't really see this as a trauma. And so she said, finding your podcast alone was just an answer to, to prayer. She said, it's been more effective in helping her heal than 30 years of counseling which is awesome and kind of sad at the same time. And um, and so she said one of the things too for her, one of her particular struggles is just suicidal thoughts and tendencies. And so she said one of the things that she would do um, is actually when she started going down that dark hole is actually putting on the podcast, listening to the interviews, listening to the guests who share their stories or the experts who offer advice on different you know, pain points that people like us deal with. And she said, like Joey, like it immediately helps. It kind of pulls me back and I'm in a much better spot. She said, I, I can truly say that this 
ministry, this podcast has saved my life, which is beautiful. And so lots of other stories um, we could share, but those are a few and um, just so encouraging. Cause again, the whole goal is like, we're trying to not just break the cycle, but reverse it. Cause what I believe is that so often, you know, when we go through trauma in our lives, we end up forming these and forming these bad habits. We're much more likely to have unhealthy relationships, weak marriages and broken families. Um, but if we can heal from that trauma and build virtue, then we're going to go on and build healthy relationships, strong marriages, and healthy functional families. And that's the goal. And I think if that happens on a large enough scale, like, isn't it an unreasonable to think that it won't transform our culture? I, I truly believe that. And so it's hard work. It's going to take a lot of time. Um, but that's what we're going after is really reversing that cycle of dysfunction and divorce. I love that, Joey. That's an awesome, just positive, hopeful note to end on. I think we are going to I think we are going to shift things back, you know, and we're doing it from every angle. We're, you know, so many organizations, we're just doing what's in front of us and, mm -hmm. and working hard, but we have to restore a marriage culture. We talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. It's at the bottom of everything. We can't fix school shootings and we can't fix fentanyl overdose and, and obesity and all these things without fixing the family. And like you're talking about, mm -hmm. there's kids who are already coming out of a broken family, but now we have to get to them so we can reverse the pattern. So mm -hmm. now, you know, those kids, like kids you're working with now can get married and they'll have children. And then when their marriage struggles, they're going to go get the help they need instead mm -hmm. of divorcing, you know, and then we're going to shift. We'll start shifting it over time. I totally think that's going to happen. I couldn't well, agree more. I've yeah. staked my you know career and life on this right now. And it's like, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's something I'm trying to do personally. You know, I've been married five years now and um, I have uh, a daughter who's two and a half at this point. We have another one in heaven and um, we're expecting another baby at this point too. So trying to not just like preach this stuff, but live it. I don't always do that perfectly, but um, so I can say with certainty that it is possible and I think it is worth fighting for. And um, yeah, no, I couldn't be more passionate. Like everything you said about it being the brokenness in our families and our marriages are truly at the core of the brokenness in our culture. Um, one of the ways that... I think about it as like our culture will always reflect the condition of the marriages and the families within it. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Where can people find you? Likewise, honored to be here. Uh, on uh, social media, the handle is at restored, past tense, restored help. Um, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Um, and then our website is really the best place to view all of our resources. So you can go to restored ministry ministry is just singular restored ministry.com uh, on there you can view our resources like we have a book it's just a question and answer format 33 questions and answers for teenagers and young adults it just guides them through some of the most pressing challenges that they face if they come from a divorce or broken family uh, we have a podcast i mentioned so we bring on uh, people just share their stories about what they had been through coming from their parent you know a broken family going through their parents divorce um and then it's really instructive too if you come from a broken family because you can see oh this is what they've been through this is what they did to heal and to kind of move beyond it so you can do that too we bring on experts to offer advice on different pain points whether it's relationships or dealing with emotional problems things like that um so yeah those are the two main things i would mention but yeah the website restoredministry.com is the best place to start awesome thanks so much for being here and we'll put all those links in our show notes for people to find uh joey thanks so much for your work I'm honored to be here. Thank you for your work. And yeah, we're big fans and we'll keep cheering you on. Keep up the great work. And I, I look forward to collaborating more in the future.
listening to the Them Before Us podcast. Make sure you head over to thembeforeus.com to find us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, donate, and more. Thanks for joining the movement. Whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you are single, married, gay, or straight, if you are defending the rights of children, you are one of us. Thanks for joining this global movement to put them, the children, before us, the adults.